Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Joseph Dituri is a university professor in Florida, a retired U.S. naval officer and biomedical engineer. On the 1st of March of this year, he embarked on a journey, a journey underwater, where he lived in the Jules Undersea Lodge, an underwater steel and glass hotel built 30 feet under the surface of the ocean. Dr. Dituri uh, broke the Guinness World Record for the longest time spent living underwater in a fixed habitat after spending 100 days living and researching underwater. Sounds terrifying if you ask me, to be honest with you. I, I don't think I can deal with the claustrophobia of just looking at the sea all the time under the water. I don't know how thick the glass was, but I'll find out in a second because he joins me now. Uh, Joseph, good evening to you. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome, Joseph. Lovely to talk to you. Mind you, it's the middle of the day in Florida, but how? Oh, you're in Washington. Sorry, I do apologize. You're in Washington, but you're no, in the I'm University of Florida. Florida. I'm in Florida. <laughs> I'd say you'd much prefer, I, much I prefer to be there. Washington phone number. <laughs> uh, okay. Are you actually in Washington or Florida? I am in Florida, but I have a Washington phone number. So you're correct on both accounts, but I am living in Florida. Well, I got to say, I love Florida. And you're far better off in Florida. Anyway, anyway uh, the weather is beautiful and everything is beautiful about it. Explain to me firstly, you're a biomedical engineer, why you kind of went right. on this mission to be underwater in this underwater steel and glass hotel built 30 feet below the surface. Why, what was the, the reason for wanting to do it? So there was a threefold reason. One is, as you noted, I'm a biomedical engineer, so I wanted to figure out what happens to the human body when you leave it in an isolated, confined, extreme environment. Uh, second part of it was I, I wanted to reach out to kids and let them know that science can be cool, right? Science, technology, engineering, and math can actually be cool. And you don't have to be a geeky, you know, beakers, microscopes, you know, boring, white lab coats, no. We can do science in really cool places so we can get out there. So I want to talk to a bunch of kids. And then third and finally, I wanted to talk to the experts in marine science, in sponge, uh, sponge scientists, uh, you know, microbiologists to look at little things underwater, to learn what's going on in their environment and then feed that back to the kids and the people and everybody just so that everybody understands that the ocean is a, is a populous environment full of myriad creatures that, that are going to be able to help our species. So describe this underwater hotel. Was it kind of <laughs> primarily made of glass so you could kind of see everything going on around you? Or Sadly, there were, uh, there were uh, three big windows that were maybe, um, maybe a meter and a half across each, round windows, right? Okay. And that was the extent of the windows. And then it was maybe uh, two meters wide and about... Mm, Six, five, six meters long. Uh, and there were two tubes. One of those tubes had my bedroom as well as the other scientist bedroom, the visiting scientist bedroom. And then one had the kitchen and, uh, you know, if you will, living room and work room and science room. So and there was a little wet pot in between them where you could uh, go in the water. Basically, it's just a hole in the bottom of it that you just, we had the water pressurized, so the water stayed out, yeah. and we were able to dive out through that little hole. Oh, okay. All right, so you, you did dive out on a regular basis. Would you kind of go on little explorations every, every day. day? 
every day. I found so many cool things. I've been diving for over 40 years, and I found my first seahorse in the water, which was really neat. Oh, okay. Yeah, of course, seahorses are now an endangered species because so many of them are being taken out of the water, particularly in Asian countries, for the use of medicines and all sorts of different uh, oh. theories. So that's a very sad fact of life that they're becoming so rare now. Um, but I know there are yeah. efforts being made to breed them in captivity. Actually, here in Ireland, yeah. we are the uh, the leaders in now. Uh, there's a, an organization called Seahorse Aquariums. And uh, there's a, a documentary was on Netflix there recently, The Seahorse Man. And he has figured out how to breed them in captivity. And he's breeding thousands and thousands of them and putting them back into the ocean again, which is wonderful. Uh, but anyway, get back, back, to pro- get to, back to Project Neptune. So what, what did you discover while you were down there as a human being being kept in isolation for 100 days? Right. So some of the things that we already knew about the mechanism of action of hyperbaric medicine, hyper meaning more than baric meaning pressure, when you're in that sort of an environment for long periods of time or sustained periods of time, you reduce your inflammation in your body. So that's one certain thing that happened to me. I mean, some really interesting stuff is I doubled my deep and REM sleep. Usually humans sleep about 30 to 33% in deep and REM. I wound up sleeping between 60 and 66%. So did you wake up at like did you wake up feeling like a hangover no i woke up i woke up feeling energized and ready to go after about four or five hours of sleep and like i said 66 percent of that was in deeper REM. okay so it was incredible okay because i always find when i go into a really deep sleep i wake up feeling awful (laughs) now i don't even drink but i wake up feeling like i've had a hangover if i go into that kind of really deep state of sleep yeah, man. No, 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 no. I, uh, I had no problems. As a matter of fact, I felt better than I ever have. Uh, I mean, like I said, every single inflammatory marker in my body was cut in half. Um, you, you know, I had that restful sleep going for me. Uh, I, I basically had a lot, I had a reduction in cholesterol by 70 points, seven zero points. And I mean, I was usually floating around 270. I was down to 200. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the cortisol response in my body, you probably find this interesting, right? So the cortisol dropped from the mid eighties to the single digits. Wow. And what that did is had a corresponding release of testosterone because when the cortisol goes down, testosterone goes up. So that was a really interesting find. I, I can imagine it was. And I'd say you were not only were you full of energy, you were full of something else as well. So you were full, you were full of energy <laughs> once the old testosterone builds up. You also shrank as well, by the way. You, you lost um, a I half did. an inch. Uh, three quarters, but yeah, uh, basically, uh, it, it's one of the consequences of being in a pressurized environment. Now, look at this. The astronauts extend. They're constantly in tension, so they're kind of pulling themselves apart, if you will, or the lack of gravity mm. free-falling is pulling them apart. I was in compression, so I was squished lower and smaller. Yeah, I lost about three quarters of an inch, almost a full inch. And does that, that was, uh, does that affect I, you when you're walking? Because obviously we see the astronauts kind of bouncing <laughs> around, okay? So they're enjoying themselves. But, yeah. but, but do you feel, because you're in a pressurized container and you're under the water, do, do you feel heavier as you're walking, that kind of sluggish feeling? Yeah, uh, you do feel that. Uh, it's a little harder to breathe, and that, as evidenced by my pulmonary function tests, I had a, stro- a sharp drop-off of pulmonary function tests. So uh, it was harder to breathe initially, and then I built up, 
Uh, and then uh, I was okay for a little while, and then it wound up dropping off again towards the end. So I suspect we're at the maximum tolerance of human duration at that uh, at that partial pressure of oxygen and that depth. So I, I suspect we can't go any longer, but we'll see. Mm. I, I'm assuming Project Neptune and other such projects, you know, where we have people in isolation or people certainly in pressurized containers or people who go up to space and all those things, there's, I suppose the idea of this is in the future at some point, maybe we're we're looking at having to do that with populations of the world. Uh, we don't know yet, of course. Those those futures are well ahead of us, not in our generation, but certainly, you know, in generations ahead. They may have to look at colonizing other planets, colonizing under the sea if there's more water. Uh, so are they all, is that the kind of intention behind all of this to see what the human body can actually endure? Yeah, um, that, that's basically it. I mean, let's look at it like this. We've put hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars towards space flight, space exploration, space programs, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. And we're, we'd have about 77 person years in space total so far. Uh, you know, what, 29,000 hours or so. Uh, or 290,000 hours. But we've had maybe 28 people go to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. We have, we are 70% water on this planet. I opine that we need to explore the water a little bit more mm -hmm. than we are the space because the water is the next logical step, right? Yeah. Yeah, we live here. <laughs> we may as well go in it. And what are the things that we can find out? Like you said, you know, some people are pilfering seahorses, and that's just horrible. But like I said, if you could find the cure for Alzheimer's in the ocean, and that's exactly what James Cameron did when he went to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. I worked with his group. We pulled a sample of a sea lice that he found at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, and it's a partial cure for Alzheimer's. Okay. Now, we found a partial cure for Alzheimer's living and existing at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. What else is there? So that's this whole, we have to look. We yeah. have to live in the ocean and see what we can find, you know. Not to pilfer it, but to learn from it, for crying out loud. Did I see recently, I remember, vaguely remember that movie, I think it was called The Abyss, and where they used this solution that they could actually breathe um, you'll help me out on this. Yeah. You, being, you being the professor will know more about this than I am. So basically what this is a liquid that they inhale and they yeah. fill their lungs up with this liquid. But the human body is capable of withdrawing oxygen from this particular liquid. Now that was in the movie The Abyss, which I thought was kind of science fantasy. But it turns out they've actually done real experiments on that now. They have. Uh, so a guy named uh, Fraser, Thomas Fraser, did that at Penn or UPenn, and uh, and that was a while ago now. Uh, and it's called a highly oxygenated fluorocarbon, and you can basically breathe it. It's hard to breathe, but uh, people have lived inside that for a period of time. Uh, the problem is we're made to breathe air. So we build up carbon dioxide because we can't really move something that dense, something mm. that dense breathing media. Uh, so there's some possibilities with that, but yeah, it would. It's a little bit away if we were going. Okay, so it's still it's still it in the movies. Yeah. In the okay, it's still in the movies. It's though, still in the movies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's actually a product made by 3M called Rymar 101. You can just go buy it right now. Okay, but well, I don't recommend people go out and try that, by the way. Can I just point no, out? No, don't do that. <laughs> and, and, and the other thing that you you kind of would have, uh, I suppose, achieved by this, did you notice any d difference in, say, body healing 
or, for example, you know, bruising or, um, I don't know, curing yeah. yourself of a cold. Although I don't know where you'd catch a virus down there because there'd be no viruses around, I imagine. Yeah, so one of the uh, one of the mechanism of action of hyperbaric medicine is that you can double the number of CD34 plus progenitor stem cells. Now these are the stem cells that are the great stem cells. They're endogenous, not they're from inside your body, not from outside your body. So your body uses them a lot. Uh, so basically, they're what we use to heal. So we had an abundance. I had an abundance of them in my blood. So yes, that's actually exactly what happened. Is I healed a little bit faster. I was able to. Uh, I was able to overcome things that I wouldn't normally be able to overcome. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I lengthened my telomeres on the end of the chromosomes. I lengthened them pretty perceptively uh, because I was down there so long. But these are all known mechanism of action of hyperbaric medicine. Yeah. I mean, obviously you had a good knowledge of submersibles and you, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you worked with David Cameron and of course we all know of the tragedy that happened only recently in relation to the visit of the submersible and Titanic. And I'm just wondering as an engineer yourself with an understanding of submersible vehicles, would you have gone down yourself in a submersible like that, similar to the one that imploded sadly in the tragic loss of life, would you have gone down in something like that? So interestingly enough, I was the guy that designed and built dry combat submersible for U.S. Special Operations Command. And when I did, that was one of the fabrication methodologies that I looked across, right? So it's a uh, spun carbon fiber, if you will, wrapped around a titanium shell. I mean, the design is terrific and works wonders. You could be mass produced in minutes easy. But the problem was the repeatability of process. I was unable to get them to repeat the process very well so that you could make one look just like the other and just like the other from a from a structural standpoint, right? Okay. So basically that's why dry combat submersible isn't made out of that. It's made out of steel. <laughs> yeah. Because you just cannot do that effectively and efficiently for multiple targets. So Yeah. So the answer is probably no. You wouldn't go into a submersible like that. Yeah. Now, because unfortunately, no, as you rightly said, a, if you're reproducing, no on my part. yeah, if you're reproducing them, there's going to be weaknesses in them, and there, isn't there? I imagine there'll be weaknesses. Is that is that something exactly. that concerns you? You're just laying this stuff up. Did that concern you at any point in your hundred days when you're lying in this tube, or you're eating in the other tube, or you're you know looking out these windows at the undersea life? Did it ever concern you at some point? Is this thing going to spring a leak? Sure. Well, that's exactly what does concern me. It's not even just springing a leak. It's most in that point, it's contaminated environment, right? Because carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide, worse, will get you before you even blink an eye, right? So my thing was to drill my skills for emergency escape. I drilled them regularly, and and the one thing that I had in my bed with me was a bottle, a scuba bottle with my mask attached to it so that I could grab that really quickly in the unlikely event something went sideways, grab that, put it in my mouth, put the mask on, and get out of there. So that's how we you know, assuage fear, right? We get rid of all of our fear in our life by learning our systems. And that's what I did. I learned the systems in total fully. I knew everything about that place. And then when it came to exiting, I knew I was getting out. So it was not with reckless abandon that I went on this discovery. No, but technology goes wrong every now and again, doesn't it, Joseph? I mean, here in the radio station, for example, you know, I'm here 14 years. I think we've only gone off the air once in 14 years. But it can happen. <laughs> Something, some piece it of electronic happens. equipment just yes, doesn't so. do what it's meant to do, and all of a sudden, it's game over. 
Exactly. And that's why I drilled and skilled regularly because I wanted to make sure that I was getting out of there. So yeah, it was, it was forefront in my mind, but you know, you drill that fear out so that you know that you're going to get out in the unlikely event. And what was the one, if I, if I said to you, you know, that what's the one thing that you took away from your hundred day experience that would make you want to do it again. What was that kind of one thing that you took away from that, that wonderful experience, that part of that experience? The one thing, the peace, the peace. Uh, when you're down there, you, you, you become very much, you know, I wasn't always alone, but I was alone by and large. Uh, so I got into myself. I understood myself more than I ever had before. Lots of meditation, lots of deep breathing, lots of thinking, lots of considering life. And when you do that, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. That's a very different, uh, a very different thing. So, and I appreciate the time. And yeah, I'd go back in a skinny minute. Yeah, and did you, by the way, have to go into a biometric chamber when you came back up again, or were you okay? Did the 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 the, the capsule that you were in the hotel, if you want to call it that, for a better word, the Jewels Undersea Lodge, did that automatically do that for you when you when you when the last day came? It doesn't automatically do it, but my U.S. patent, which just got issued on October thirty first, uh, my U.S. patent protected me against decompression sickness because it told me how to decompress out of that. So that's what you're talking about, decompression, decompression sickness. I decompressed while I was in the chamber and then got out, and my decompression monitor told me exactly what I was supposed to do. So, yeah, we just got issued U.S. patent on that, so we are very stoked. Okay, so that that's kind of going forward. That's going to help other people, of course, with what they famously call the bends. Isn't that what they call it when people get that, yeah. that sickness when they come out from being under the Not- water? Not just that, hypercapnia, which is the buildup of carbon dioxide, and hyperoxia. So it'll warn against hypercapnia, hyperoxia, and decompressive stress. Okay. So there, there's some real good utility in that for, I don't know, spaceflight, if we're building the next spacesuit. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, see, you see where my eyes are. <laughs> yeah, I can see, absolutely. You And you and your medical team, by the way, will be analysing all the data collected and you're going to present it, uh, at the findings, at the World Extreme Medicine Conference, which is in Scotland, uh, this month, I believe. Edinburgh, Scotland. Yeah. yeah it's, as a matter of fact, uh, I leave here on the 8th, but uh, I don't think it starts technically until the 11th. Okay, so you're going to be presenting a talk similar to like a TED Talk, is it, or something like that along those lines? Yeah, it's a medical conference, but yeah, absolutely. It's uh, the detailed results of everything that I just talked about with you, but probably a little more boring for the medical community. (laughs) (laughs) I don't find it a bit boring. I find it very interesting because I think it'll help. Well, it certainly it'll help human beings in the long term. Any bit of information that we can get, I suppose, to help us, uh, you know, will be very welcome indeed. And by the way, it mentions here as well that during the project that there was an increased pressure had potential to help humans live longer and prevent age-related yeah. diseases. So what? So I know that, you know, space people, the people that go into space, for example, uh, notice that they don't age or, the, or if they, the further they go, what's that whole theory? The further they go, the time moves slower or something like that. I can't remember anyway. But was there some sort of similar experience of being underwater that you don't age as quickly? No, but realistically, this is one of, again, the mechanism of action of hyperbaric medicine. And you can get hyperbaric medicine at your local hyperbaric medicine center in a recompression chamber, right? It is It lengthens your telomeres. Those are those little tips on the end of the chromosome. So when you replicate your chromosome, when you replicate that cell, you basically lose a little bit of the telomere. Well, I can extend it by 30 to 33%. Wait, right. I can make you live... 
30 to 33 percent longer than you were going to live today. If now, mind you, it doesn't cure you from getting hit by a bus, right? It doesn't cure you from dying of the sickness. It just says that I can make your cells replicate more. What's the name? What's what's the name of that stuff? What's the name of that stuff, Joseph? Again, what's it called? (laughs) (laughs) Telomeres. The telomeres. We can make them longer. Okay, I'm going to order a bottle of that. <laughs> yeah. See how it works out. So, you yeah. pl- Joseph, are you planning on doing it again, or what's the next project? Oh, I don't know. But, you know, if you, uh, if you went to the International Space Station for 6.25 days, just 6.25 days, you could catch 100 sunrises and 100 sunsets. And do you know that I missed? A hundred sunrises and a hundred sunsets. So, Does the ocean not change know, color? Did... Listening in TV land. But yeah, but did, did you not see uh, the ocean changing color, going dark and light? I did. I saw it going dark and going light and going dark, but it was green and then it was black. And then it was green and then it was black. So I'm not counting those oh, sunrises. Oh, oh finally, yeah. What, what, was the, what was the most interesting thing you saw out the window? Any sharks? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, there was a shark. So when you get accepted into the underwater realm, the shark tends to come, swim, and drop and lay right on your doorstep as they know that you're not a threat. They know that you're not going to hurt them. They know that you're not going to invade and rip up the place. So once they felt that, they felt, I mean, you know, look, I saw a seahorse for crying out loud, and mm. I've been diving for over 40 years, and I'd never seen a seahorse before. So mm. that's pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah. I, sorry, which side of Florida were you are? Oh no, wait, sorry, did you do this? Where, whereabouts exactly? I'm forgetting now where you actually did it. Whereabouts exactly? I'm was on it? Tampa, Florida, the west coast. Okay, so that's that's the Gulf uh, side. I was the Gulf of Mexico side. The Gulf of Mexico side, yes, sir. Okay, but so when I was doing the experiment, I was in South Florida by Miami. Oh, okay, all right, okay. So but then... I live in Tampa. Okay, Sorry. because I've noticed the water in Tampa is a lot water than, warmer than the water over in Daytona or Cocoa. Or, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you've got the Gulf Stream there as well, so you've got a nice warm water. That yeah. would be better for the old seahorses, you know, uh, generally speaking. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, it's been wonderful talking to you. It's really interesting, Joseph, I have to say. I'm going to look you up on wonderful YouTube now. speaking with you. I'm sure people can YouTube oh, you. Oh, please do. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to look it up now. Yeah. Listen, thank you very much indeed. Thanks. Check us out on drdeepsea.com or uh, check out my uh, my Instagram and so forth at drdeepsea. Well, uh, we'd love to have you see us. Okay, Dr. Deep C. if anybody wants to Google it or Instagram it or check it out. All right, listen, thank you very much indeed, Dr. Joseph Taturi. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Be well. Bye. There you go. What an interesting guy. Well, I don't know. Would you do that? That's a kind of interesting challenge, would you? A hundred days under the water? Uh-huh. Jane, would you do that 100 days on your Todd? Could you be 100 days on your own? Just on your own? You, I think you could, yeah. Yeah, you could. I know you could. Yeah. Jane is that... She's kind of a bit arty-farty like that. You know what I mean? She's a bit weird like that. She could be. Because she went off to Thailand for three weeks and turned off mobile. She actually left her mobile phone here, actually. She didn't even bring it with her. Uh, because she wanted to find herself and all that kind of carry on. You know, it's arty stuff, you know. So I'd say 100 days in a row, and that would suit her perfectly. She'd get away from me. Real people. Real opinions. Real Talk Radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show.